Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Last week, the U.S. Department of Transportation announced that under a new rule, which goes into effect in January, they will no longer consider emotional support animals as service animals. Essentially, airlines are banning emotional support animals from planes. And the new rule also will allow only dogs to serve as service animals. This allows airlines to limit the types of animals that fly for free. Now, just to remind you the difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal, under Title II and Title III of the American Disabilities Act, a service animal means any dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of an individual with a disability, including a physical, sensory, psychiatric, intellectual, or other mental disability. So a service animal helps a person who's blind to navigate or assists an individual during a seizure or assists a person with balance and stability issues or mobility disabilities. Emotional support animals, unlike service animals, do not have special training to perform tasks that assist people with disabilities. Emotional support animals provide companionship. They relieve loneliness and sometimes help with depression or anxiety and certain phobias. And emotional support animals are not limited to dogs. And I understand. I have dogs and cats, and they provide an incredible amount of emotional support for me. My dogs ease my anxiety. They comfort me when I'm down or sad. They lift my spirits. I sleep better when my animals are next to me. So I get it. I know what our companion animals can do for us for our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. And I'm scared of flying. I really do hate to fly. Bringing one of my dogs or cats along on the plane to comfort me would definitely ease my anxiety, and I would love to do that. And it's tempting, but I can see how travelers might take advantage of and abuse this policy. Just put a vest on your dog or other animal, or get your doctor to write a note stating you need to fly with your animal for emotional support, and that's it. It's pretty easy to get away with. And then it's not just dogs and cats. People can claim their pig or miniature horse or peacock or hedgehog or whatever to be their emotional support animal. So you can see how it gets out of hand. In addition, there are people who claim their pet is an emotional support animal to avoid the $150 or $175 one-way pet fee, which gets waived with an emotional support animal. So listen to this. Airlines for America and Airline Trade Association estimate that the number of passengers flying with emotional support animals in 2018 increased by 14% following a 60% increase the year before. This group states that the rise has also accompanied a sharp increase in incidents caused by the animals from biting to defecation. Airlines for America president and CEO Nicholas Calio said, the Department of Transportation's final rule will protect the traveling public and airline crew members from untrained animals in the cabin, as well as improve air travel accessibility for passengers with disabilities that travel with trained service dogs. So, new rule, only dogs can fly for free as service animals only. No emotional support animals. So I like it. I think this was an easily abused policy. And listen, passengers without an emotional support animal do have rights too. And if you're on a five-hour flight across the country, you might not be thrilled to sit next to someone's emotional support pig or peacock or whatever. So I think it's a good rule. I think it needs to be done. 
And no doubt, I think the airlines also did this for economic reasons, because it's been estimated that with this ban of emotional support animals in place, the airlines will gain up to $59.6 million a year in pet fees. However, I will say that I do fear that now more and more people will check their emotional support animal or their pet into the cargo hold, which is extremely dangerous and risky. We've reported on horror stories about people's beloved pets and what happened to them when they checked their animals in like a piece of luggage, and these animals are put with the cargo. Animals get lost or misplaced or stolen. Can you imagine? We've reported on cases in which the animal freezes to death or overheats and dies from dehydration. So my advice, without sounding like I'm minimizing the value of having an emotional support animal and what our animals do for our overall well-being, I mean, I can barely stand being away from my dogs and cats for one day. But my advice is when you travel by plane, leave your animals at home and perhaps pick up breathing or meditation practices. And listen, I hate flying. I'm one of those white knuckle flyers. I have my Valium if I need it. I have a cocktail on board if I need it. Not at the same time as the Valium, of course. But I'm telling you, never allow your pet to be checked in and stored with the cargo. Extremely risky and dangerous for your pet. And I want to say one more thing about this new Department of Transportation rule. The AP reports that the Transportation Department stood by an earlier decision to prohibit airlines from banning entire dog breeds. So you should know that Delta Airlines banned pit bull type dogs back in 2018, whether they were service animals or emotional support animals. So no pit bull type dogs allowed on Delta. The transportation department prohibits airlines from doing this. By the way, this ban on pit bull type dogs by Delta Airlines was not only criticized by animal advocates and dog lovers, but by disability advocates. These are service dogs for disabled individuals. So the Department of Transportation prohibits airlines from banning a given breed of dog. And Delta is giving no indication of backing down. In a statement, a Delta spokeswoman said the airline is reviewing the new rule, but, quote, at this time, there are no changes to Delta's current service and support animal policies. So this is breed discrimination and shame on Delta. And we can get into the whole discussion about breed discrimination and how it's very difficult to identify what kind of dog you really have just by looking at the dog's appearance. That's called visual breed identification. And it's inaccurate. More times than not, your guess at what kind of breed a dog is by just looking at it because he might have a certain trait that reminds you of what a particular breed looks like. And you'll likely be proven wrong by DNA analysis. So that's one of the many problems with these breed discrimination rules and laws. The federal government ruled that Delta's ban on pit bull type dogs is illegal. I mean, airline employees have a right to bar any dog or any animal they consider a safety threat at the time, no matter the breed. But it's illegal for them to ban an entire kind of dog. And there's been cases where well-mannered, calm, obedient service dogs and their owners were kicked off the plane, Delta plane, because the dog was a pit bull type dog. This is crazy. Delta's response is, we are looking after, quote, the safety of the staff and customers. Even though the Department of Transportation clearly states 
quote, limiting a service animal based exclusively on its breed is not allowed under the department's Air Carrier Access Act regulation. And they go on. If you are ever turned away from a flight due to a service dog's breed, you are asked to file a disability complaint with the U.S. Department of Transportation. We've had guests on Animals Today who specifically adopt out and train shelter dogs that have been labeled as pit bulls to be service dogs for people with disabilities. Regina Lizick is one of these individuals. She commented on this Delta ban. She states, first and foremost, it's about people. Delta is discriminating against people. When Delta or anyone puts out a regulation like this that dictates what kind of dog can be a service dog, they are reducing access for someone with a disability. The president and CEO of ASPCA also responds to Delta Airlines' ban on pit bull policy. He states, Delta Airlines' policy to ban pit bull-type dogs as comfort or service animals does not achieve its stated public safety aim and spreads false and life-threatening stereotypes. Every dog is unique, even dogs within the same breed, and their behavior is influenced by many factors, including socialization, developmental experiences, training, environment, and genetics. In fact, pit bull-type dogs have long been popular family pets, noted for their affection and loyalty. So there you go. If you're blind or have a disability and your service dog whom you rely on is a pit bull-like dog, too bad for you. You will not be allowed on Delta Airlines. Today's Animals Today Minute is about three of the largest birds on Earth. Did you know that the ostrich is the world's largest bird? It's true. The ostrich typically weighs between 140 pounds and 350 pounds, and the adults stand six to nine feet tall. Ostriches are also the fastest two-legged animal on land. They can run up to 60 miles per hour and sustain that pace for quite a while. Commensurate with their size, the eggs of ostriches are the largest of all bird eggs, weighing about three pounds each and measuring six inches long. Their huge eyes, about two inches across, are the largest of any land animal, but also larger than their own brains. They allow the detection of slight movements of potential predators from great distances. Their relatives are cassowaries, emus, kiwis, and rheas. The wandering albatross, or the snowy albatross, is the largest living flying bird. It has the largest wingspan of any bird, exceeding 11 feet in some individuals. They fly distances of up to 75,000 miles in a single year, adding up to 15 million miles over one's life. That's some serious mileage. An adult male weighs up to 25 pounds. The wandering albatross employs a flight technique called dynamic soaring to conserve calories and harness the wind's energy to soar beautifully above open waters. And they have a special gland located above their nasal passages, which allows them to regulate their body's salt balance by excreting a concentrated saline solution from it. Recently, their numbers have been rapidly declining, putting them on the red list for conservation status. The emperor penguin is the largest and heaviest species of penguin and is native to Antarctica. They weigh up to 100 pounds and stand 45 inches in height. Like all penguins, they are flightless. Their bodies are exquisitely hydrodynamic and they have strong flippers, both of which make them excellent swimmers. They can swim up to speeds of 12 miles per hour. Emperor penguins can also dive deeper than any other bird and they can hold their breath for more than 20 minutes. 
The emperor penguins share their labor when it comes to preparing for the young, with the male taking care of newly laid eggs. During that time, male penguins eat nothing for more than two months. The females search for food in the open oceans, collect it in their bellies, and regurgitate the swallowed food for the newly hatched chicks. Emperor penguins all look virtually identical, which makes individual recognition very difficult. To overcome this, emperor penguins have evolved different sounding voices and the ability to recognize the unique voices of their mates or chicks. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today. Welcome back to Animals Today. Okay, Peter, in political animal news... Socialist Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez presumably AOC AOC yes presumably purchased a purebred dog specifically a French bulldog now I say presumably because she refuses to answer questions about the dog's origin whether he was adopted from a shelter or purchased from a breeder well, animal rights groups are not happy about what Cortez did. President of PETA, Ingrid Newkirk, states, with the millions of homeless dogs out there, you apparently chose to buy a purebred puppy instead of adopting one from an animal shelter. She goes on, right this minute on Pet Finder alone, there are more than 110,000 dogs, including French bulldogs who need homes. Animal shelters are bursting at the seams with hundreds of thousands more, many of whom will be put to sleep for lack of a home. French bulldogs are inbred in order to produce breed-specific traits, which cause health problems that many people who will be influenced by your purchase won't be able to afford to address, she says. She goes on, they are particularly at risk because their acute features plague them with a lifetime of breathing problems, ear and eye infections, skin irritation, a weak stomach, and other issues. Yes. On Instagram, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez asked her followers to provide name suggestions saying, quote, he doesn't have a name yet. We are thinking something Star Trek related or Bronx, Queens, New York City, social good related, she states. She also states in a tweet, the goal is to train him to be a community pup. Ideally, we want to work to the point where he can enjoy town halls, be an Amtrak pup, come to the office, etc. What the hell is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, should we be shaming Cortez over the pick of dogs? Of course we should. Okay. Yeah. You know, she has so many followers. Really? She could have set such a great example if she had rescued a dog from a shelter and encouraging her followers to do the same. And I said the same thing about our former president. One of Obama's campaign promises was to adopt a dog, and he ended up getting a dog, Portuguese water dog, as a gift dog was from a breeder and guess what after that a lot of people wanted a portuguese water dog like the president has and they say there were no scandals in the obama administration <laughs> as you probably know peter this breed cortez got the the french bulldog has some health risks just like a lot of purebred dogs have they especially have trouble breathing and along with respiratory disorders these dogs can also suffer from spinal disorders eye diseases heart disease and joint diseases so I'll tell you, she's really going to be under the microscope when or if this dog develops health problems. We'll see how she handles them. Hide them. 
That's right. Do you know that Joe Biden has two rescue dogs? No. They are German shepherds named Champ and Major. Biden adopted Major, we reported on this last year, from the Delaware Humane Association in November after fostering the puppy for months. Major was part of a litter that was exposed to toxic chemicals before they were brought to the shelter. Beautiful dog. Have you seen a picture of Major? I don't think I've seen Major. What other familiar and currently relevant political names have rescued pets. Oh. 2020 presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, right. Buttigieg has two rescue dogs. Truman, a beagle Labrador mix, who was adopted by him and his husband in 2017. And Buddy, a one-eyed pug beagle mix, was adopted in 2018. So nice. Okay, you got to respect that. Yes. Do we judge a person by whether they choose to adopt and save a life rather than purchase from a breeder? We shouldn't, but we we do. do. What about Elizabeth Warren? You think she's the type of person who would rescue a dog? Uh, Let's see. I don't know this, but I'm going to say she's not an animal person. Nope. She doesn't rescue. She has a golden retriever named... What's one of the most popular dog names for Bella? Bailey. Bailey. Bailey Close. Not rescued. How about Kristen Gillibrand? You know who she is, right? Yeah, yeah. You think she rescued? I'm going to say yes. No. (laughs) What kind of dog do you think Kristen Gillibrand has? She's got a big, big uh, Alaskan Malamute type dog. (laughs) Good guess. A Labradoodle designer dog. That didn't surprise me. You know, former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper? He was another 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. I think he dropped out of the race the middle of last year. He has a rescue dog named Skye. Oh. Yes, listeners might know we, too, have a rescue dog named Skye. Peter, you might find this interesting. When Hickenlooper was governor, he signed two measures aimed at protecting and recognizing the importance of people's pets. First was a bill called the Dog Protection Act, which was really the first of its kind in the United States. This Colorado statute requires local law enforcement to undergo training in order to prevent the shooting of dogs by local law enforcement officers in the line of duty. Specifically, the statute aims to assist in training officers to differentiate between threatening and non-threatening dog behaviors, as well as to employ non-lethal means whenever possible. The sponsor of the bill was a former Republican member of the Colorado State Senate, David Balmer. He came up with the bill after seeing a home video of a Commerce City officer shooting a lab pitbull mix named Chloe after tasing it. Yeah. The officer, who claimed the dog was a threat, was later charged with animal cruelty. And apparently there were like 40 other cases in Colorado where police officers shot and killed people's dogs when responding to calls over the prior few years. So that's one bill former Colorado Governor Hickenlooper signed. The second bill designated shelter pets as the official state pet. Okay, so enough about the 2020 presidential Democratic candidates. Something you might not know is our Vice President Pence adopted at least a couple of their prior companion animals. Pickle and Oreo, both cats. In 2017, second lady Karen Pence stated on Instagram when Pickle died, we all will miss Pickle, our very chatty, sweet kitty of 16 years. The vice president's daughter, Charlotte Pence, posted a heartfelt tribute to Pickle on Instagram. When we first rescued Pickle 15 years ago, she had been neglected, so she was scared and mean and almost never let us hold her. When we said goodbye to her last night, she was purring in my arms. 
Thank you, Pickle, for teaching us about how the power of love and family can change someone. Isn't that sweet? Very nice. Very nice. And earlier that year, they lost Oreo. Oreo was their 13-year-old cat. At that time, Karen Pence tweeted, Rest in peace, Oreo. You touched a lot of hearts in your little life. Our family will miss you very much. Mm. I love that she's able to make that announcement about a cat, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't you think it's more common for people to not understand your feelings or you're grieving when your cat dies and when your dog dies? Yeah, yeah. I think people are less likely to talk about the loss or death of their beloved cat than their beloved dog, not because people love their dogs more than their cats, but the belief or fear that people will not validate your feelings when you're grieving over your cat. Just a cat? You're grieving over your cat? Which one of our ignorant physician colleagues said something like that to us, Peter? Yes, one did. I'm not going to name him. You don't want to name him on national radio? You think he's listening to the radio show about animals? I doubt it. Okay. What did he say? We're at a medical conference. You get something like you get another cat. Yeah. We got an urgent call from our pet sitter, and he said something like, oh, just get another one. It's just a cat. Yeah. What an ignorant person. Anyway, Vice President Pence also had a rescue dog, a beagle. And currently, the vice president has a pet rabbit. Marlon Bundo. Mm. Marlon Bundo has his own Instagram account. I'm assuming based on the prior rescued animals in that family that the bunny is from a rescue, but don't know for sure. More with animals today after this break. For the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to advancing the rights of animals through a variety of law-based programs, including legislation, litigation, and public education, including model laws. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. Today's Animals Today Minute is about three of the largest birds on Earth. Did you know that the ostrich is the world's largest bird? It's true. The ostrich typically weighs between 140 pounds and 350 pounds, and the adults stand six to nine feet tall. Ostriches are also the fastest two-legged animal on land. They can run up to 60 miles per hour and sustain that pace for quite a while. Commensurate with their size, the eggs of ostriches are the largest of all bird eggs, weighing about three pounds each and measuring six inches long. Their huge eyes, about two inches across, are the largest of any land animal, but also larger than their own brains. They allow the detection of slight movements of potential predators from great distances. Their relatives are cassowaries, emus, kiwis, and rheas. The wandering albatross, or the snowy albatross, is the largest living flying bird. It has the largest wingspan of any bird, exceeding 11 feet in some individuals. They fly distances of up to 75,000 miles in a single year, adding up to 15 million miles over one's life. That's some serious mileage. An adult male weighs up to 25 pounds. The wandering albatross employs a flight technique called dynamic soaring to conserve calories and harness the wind's energy to soar beautifully above open waters. And they have a special gland located above their nasal passages, which allows them to regulate their body's salt balance by excreting a concentrated saline solution from it. Recently, their numbers have been rapidly declining, putting them on the red list for conservation status. The emperor penguin is the largest and heaviest species of penguin and is native to Antarctica. They weigh up to 100 pounds and stand 45 inches in height. Like all penguins, they are flightless. 
Their bodies are exquisitely hydrodynamic, and they have strong flippers, both of which make them excellent swimmers. They can swim up to speeds of 12 miles per hour. Emperor penguins can also dive deeper than any other bird, and they can hold their breath for more than 20 minutes. The emperor penguins share their labor when it comes to preparing for the young, with the male taking care of newly laid eggs. During that time, male penguins eat nothing for more than two months. The females search for food in the open oceans, collect it in their bellies, and regurgitate the swallowed food for the newly hatched chicks. Emperor penguins all look virtually identical, which makes individual recognition very difficult. To overcome this, emperor penguins have evolved different sounding voices and the ability to recognize the unique voices of their mates or chicks. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today. Welcome back to the show. There's an organization I really want you to get to know called Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals International, or SPCA International. And to do this, we have its executive director with us, Meredith Ann. Welcome to the program, Meredith. Hi, Laurie. Thank you for having me. Meredith, why don't you give us a brief overview of what SPCA International is? So SPCA International has uh, a few different programs, our Shelter Support Fund, which supports shelters and animal welfare organizations in the U.S. and all over the world through direct grants. And we also have within that program emergency and disaster relief grants available to our partners as well. So if they're experiencing a natural disaster or even an emergency with a, a large intake of animals, they can apply for help through that program. Also, we help uh, animal welfare organizations over the world with a program that we call veterinary supply aid. And we send shipments of um, sterile surgical supplies, sutures, medications, anything that is needed to perform veterinary services in a hospital. So that's the way that we help uh, shelters and animal welfare groups directly. And then we have an education program. And then we have a, a branch of our organization that is dedicated to helping the U.S. military, and we do that a couple of different ways. The first is a program called Operation Military Pets, where we provide grants to families who are on PCS orders, which which stands for Permanent Change of Station. So if they're being stationed internationally with their family, the military does not cover the cost for them to move their pets. The family unit includes not just the humans in the households, but the pets, so that that family can stay together. So we help subsidize the cost of moving those pets. And then we have a program called Operation Baghdad Pups Worldwide that was founded in 2008 because one soldier reached out to us. Uh, he wanted to bring his dog back. He was on active duty in Baghdad during the Iraq War. And he had befriended a puppy named Charlie, and he desperately wanted to get Charlie home because he knew what would happen to him if he if he stayed there. And so we we started this program, you know, with with this sort of organic request for one soldier, one dog, and now it has blossomed 12 years later into a program that we have expanded, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world to help soldiers on active duty um, who are deployed in, in war zones, uh, who have befriended an animal, get those animals home to the U.S. We have been rescuing dogs and cats 
from all over the world since 2008. At this point, we are at almost 1,100 animals. That includes puppies, kittens, even one donkey that we rescued for a marine unit. Wow, that's wonderful. So where do the animals go? How do they get transported? Tell us how, how the process works. So at the very start of the process, uh, you know, we, we have an application. It's a lot of word of mouth. It's a lot of, um, you know, Googling uh, how, to, how to get an animal home from the Middle East or wherever, whatever country uh, or area of the world um, this member of the military might be stationed in. And often they'll find our organization and our Operation Baghdad Pups Worldwide program. Uh, and from that's when, when the work begins. So uh, depending on the urgency and the need to get that animal out of where they are in the world. Some are in safer locations than others. Then we figure out, you know, how are we going to transport them to a safe place? Is it going to be, you know, a kennel? We have a lot of wonderful partner organizations who will step up and help us um, house the animals. And then we have to get them vaccinated. They need their rabies vaccinations. They need full health workups. They need to be declared healthy enough to travel to the U.S. And then eventually they are reunited if the if the soldier is home. So great because you know, the, that animal gets to see them right when they get off the plane here in the U.S., but oftentimes they're not home yet. So a family member or friend or foster will step in and uh, and take care of the animal until the, uh, the service person is home for good. So, you know, imagine being deployed on active duty. You're away from your family. You're away from your friends. You're away from everything that you know. You're often in these extremely stressful situations. And um, you may be in a country where, you know, the the stray animal population is uh, more populous around bases. They're, they're coming to these bases because there's food, there's water. And, you know, the, the lovely uh, members of the military who are missing their families and their pets at home, you know, you're seeing a puppy or a kitten and you're, you get to spend some time with them and it takes you out of that situation that you're in for a little while. It gives you a little bit of a sense of normalcy. You bond with that animal and then they couldn't picture leaving that animal behind after mm. forming that bond to them and thinking, you know, they're not going to have food. They're not going to have water. You know, they're going to be subjected to a life on the streets. Some environments can be very hostile to these animals. Sometimes they'll be found with a wound or they're often unvaccinated. So, you know, we know that communicable diseases can be rampant. So, you know, sometimes they come to us in not the best condition. And so SPCA International will work to get them healthy, make sure they're extremely healthy before they fly. We also work on getting them socialized. They get basic leash training. They learn how to sit. They learn how to be comfortable in their crates. And they, they learn how to interact with people and other animals. And we found that that is just, you know, setting them up for behavioral success in the U.S. as well. There's a lot that goes into it. And uh, we feel that it's really the least we can do for these brave men and women serving our country. And, and it's an honor for us to be able to provide this service to them. Meredith, are soldiers discouraged from adopting these animals? Are animals allowed on the base? This is all prohibited by the military for active duty soldiers to interact with an animal on base is is actually prohibited. And oh. so it, depending on, you know, sort of the leniency of, of that particular base, you know, they can be 
you know, be welcome onto the base, um, you know, but oftentimes it could be a situation where maybe they're being hidden in a room or, um, you know, they're being kept in a safe space, a little bit of a distance away. So every situation is completely different, but, you know, they're forming that bond and, you know, they just care for these animals so much that mm. they're willing to risk breaking the rules in order to bring them home to the U.S. How expensive is it to run this program and where do the funds come from? It is very expensive <laughs> to run this program because it's not just as simple as getting an animal from point A to point B. We really pride ourselves on giving these animals the best quality care while they are in our care. And especially with COVID, the global air travel has really come to a halt. So that has added um, a lot of expense to our program as well. And we rely 100% on the generosity of our donors to operate this program. Meredith, briefly tell us about your latest mission of rescuing 47 dogs and cats from Iraq for U.S. military service members and contractors. Yes, so we recently brought 47 animals home. As I mentioned, COVID-19, um, you know, completely shut down operations beginning in March. So we were able to work with a company that provided a plane to us and we were able to fly 47 animals. 31 of them were part of our Operation Baghdad Pups Worldwide program and 16 belonged to another organization called Puppy Rescue Mission that uh, has a similar program to ours. So the two organizations came together to make this happen. The plane left from Iraq, went through Shannon, Ireland for a refueling stop and arrived to JFK at two o'clock in the morning a couple of weeks ago. And my entire New York staff was there. We all breathed a sigh of relief once the plane landed. I got goosebumps. I mm. have said, no matter how many times I do this, I'll cry every time because we just felt such a sense of relief that even during a global pandemic, we were able to get the animals home safely and, and keep our promise um, to these service people. Helping our military families and saving the lives of animals in need. What can be better? Tell us your website. Our website is www.spcai.org. Meredith A.M., thank you very much. Thank you so much. Today's Animals Today Minute features the world's largest land carnivore, the polar bear. Mainly receiving nourishment in the form of seals, these majestic Arctic dwellers may reach heights of 8 to 9 feet and weigh as much as 1,700 pounds. Their adaptations to surviving the extreme climate include very thick white fur, even on their feet, black skin to absorb the warmth of the sun, a thick layer of blubber beneath the skin, and large flat front feet which aid in swimming. Newborns weigh only about a pound and stay with their mothers about two years. Polar bears are classified as an endangered species with only 20 to 25,000 left in the world. And that's this week's Animals Today Minute. For the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to informing the public about the overpopulation program and the spay-neuter solution through outdoor advertising. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan, an exercise plan, 
a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. Well, September is Save the Koala Month. You know what that means, Peter, right? It's Save the Koala Month. Pop quiz. Oh, yes. Did you have any classes where your teachers would spring a pop quiz on you? Oh, my goodness. In Spanish class, in like in eighth grade, it was just a nightmare. That and you know what? Wait, wait. They yeah. would say, okay, does anyone have any questions? Okay, no questions. Okay, pop quiz. You must all know the material, right? I hate when they did that. Were you prepared? It was just terror. It was just not fair. That, that sick feeling in your stomach. Uh, I had a math teacher that would give us a pop quiz once a week, but we wouldn't know which day of the week it would be, so we would just always have to be prepared. That's terrible. That's what gives you ulcers. <laughs> okay, so koalas. Okay. True or false? Koala bears are a type of bear. I don't think they're bears. That's correct. It is false. They are not bears, and they are not even related to bears. They get their name koala bear because they sort of look like teddy bears. Mm -hmm. True or false, koalas are marsupial mammals. That's true. Marsupial meaning they carry their babies in pouches like kangaroos and opossums. A newborn koala baby is called what? A joey. Very good. Yes. This little joey is less than an inch in length, lives in the mother's pouch for about six months while its eyes, legs, and fur develop, and then he or she makes its way out of the pouch onto his or her mother's back and just rides on mom's back as joey continues to be nursed by mother with her milk. And then after about a year, she or he is pretty much fully weaned and is off on its own. Fully grown koalas weigh about 20 pounds. Peter, koalas have litters of babies like dogs and cats. True or false? I'm going to say, let's see. I'm going to say yes, more than one. False. Ah. One baby at a time. Mm. Koalas live in packs. True or no, false? No, no. I'm going to say no. False. They prefer to live alone. That's right. Koalas spend most of their lives in trees. The only food koalas eat are yeah. eucalyptus leaves, fruit and nuts, insects and rodents. Oh, I believe those eucalyptus eucalyptus is that am i saying that right eucalyptus leaves that's yes. correct the only food koalas eat which happens to be poisonous to most animals are eucalyptus leaves koalas have certain bacteria in their stomachs to help detoxify the chemical toxins in the leaves and helps with the digestion process they eat about a pound of leaves per day there are different varieties of eucalyptus leaves in the wild and each koala acquires a taste for a specific variety by adulthood 
And koalas don't need to drink much water. They obtain most of their water from the leaves. So they spend most of their lives in trees, and they need lots of trees and lots of space to keep them happy and healthy. Other than in zoos, koalas are only found where? I'm going to say Australia. Correct. The estimated lifespan of a koala in the wild is about 13 to 18 years, but their lifespan is beginning to decline because their habitat is disappearing. As of 2015, the Australian Koala Foundation estimates that there are less than 80,000 koalas left, with the possibility of that number being as low as 43,000. Koalas are not officially classified as endangered, but the Australian koala population has dropped by 90 percent in less than a decade. So they are definitely threatened. Their population is shrinking due to the destruction of their natural habitat. I read 80 percent of their habitat has been destroyed. So we're just cutting down all their eucalyptus trees. Mm. Very sad. Yes, I've heard this story before, you know, habitat loss. Yes, many times. Yeah. Okay. So What's my score on oh, this pop quiz? You got 50% right. What would that be in, in a math class? Like a C minus? In most colleges, that would be uh, A minus. 50% equals A minus these days. Right. Well, you certainly weren't prepared. Eucalyptus. Eucalyptus. What's the plural of eucalyptus? Eucalypti? Eucalyptuses? Mm. 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 What do you have there, Peter? Lori, I have a little study from the Pew Research Center that has to do with the views of various groups of people about how they feel about animals and scientific research. Very interesting topic to our listeners. Yes. Overall, among U.S. adults, 52% oppose the use of animals in scientific research and 47% favor it. Wow, I'm surprised that about half of the adult population is in favor of experimentation with animals. I don't know if I'm surprised by that or not, but I'll tell you there is also a wide gender gap. Among men, 58% approve, and among women, Overall, 36% approve. Right, because we're more sensitive and compassionate and smarter. They also split it out among those with various degrees of science knowledge. They've got this little test. And uh, among those with high scientific knowledge, 63% approve. Wow. Among those with medium scientific knowledge, 44% approve. And among those with low scientific knowledge, 37% approve. Well, that doesn't make sense to me because scientifically knowledgeable people ought to know the limitations of animal research and how it's not applicable in many cases to humans. Oh, and I've got one more element of this in case you were wondering if there's a partisan difference in the survey results. And the answer is no. Whether you're Republican or independent or Democrat, the results stay about the same. Interesting. Yep. Peter, there's an animal shelter in a very small town in Arkansas doing something very cute to boost their adoptions. So the way most shelters or foster care individuals market adoptable animals on Facebook is by simply putting up a picture and description of the dog or cat, right? Well, one of the workers at the shelter thought it would be a good idea to put live video on Facebook with him and the dog dressed up in matching costumes. 
And the costumes range from superheroes to well-known pop stars. And I will tell you, these are not only generating a lot of attention, but according to this guy who is appearing on the videos, nine out of ten times the animal on the video is adopted or a rescue group comes in and gets the animal out of there. More than 33,000 people like the shelter's Facebook page, which is more than the population of West Memphis, which is the name of the city in Arkansas. So the video I saw, he was dressed up like Princess Leia and the dog is Yoda and another one where he's dressed up as Batman and the dog is Supergirl. And the guy sings or just does some cute little performance as he's standing there holding the dog or standing with the dog and it sure seems to be working. That's really great, Lori. Please don't volunteer me though. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. 